Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Tuesday, October 22nd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Duke-Masova, will join us. And it's the long-awaited return of president of the Chicago Principals Association, Troy LaRabier. And now your host, the long-awaited return, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Blame It on Dennis Tuesday. <laughs> and here's why. Great weekend. You have a good weekend, D? Yeah, I did. Hey, was it? Two days ago. <laughs> over the weekend. Looking I on to the week. I love that exchange. Just want to say this. Over the weekend, I saw the movie Parasite. It's a South Korean movie. It's got English subtitles. Folks, run, don't walk. What a great movie. It's funny. It's suspenseful. It's like Alfred Hitchcock. It's so awesome. Uh, and it's great satire about the dog-eat-dog world of capitalism in the 21st century. I love run, dogs. don't walk. Okay? Don't walk. Run. <laughs> to see Parasite. You know what, Dean? A lot of people haven't even heard about it. Yeah. I, I just, uh, Brian, I, I go, Brian, could Brian uh, Ernst, the smartest guy in the Sun-Times building, was just in here, and I say, hey, Brian, man, have you heard about Parasite? Even Brian didn't I've know never heard about it. about it. No, run, don't walk, because you've heard about it now. <laughs> I'll power walk. Anyway. I'll meet you in the middle. I woke up from seeing Parasite, talking about it endlessly this weekend, to discover that the world was filled with news. D, I could barely keep up. My head is exploding. <laughs> First of all, the teacher strike is on day four. Last night at bowling, everybody, people get starting to get testy, D. Everyone's blaming me. Norm came up to me. Hey, tell your girl, Stacey Dates, Gates. Man, everybody's blaming. Stacey Davis Gates uh, is a regular on the show. It's true, and she has been ever since someone put a microphone in front of me. Someone thought that was a good idea, huh, D? Uh, and uh, they put a microphone in front of me, and about a month later, Stacey Davis Gates was a guest on my radio show. Where was that show, D? I can't remember. Yeah, let's not talk about yeah, it. Yeah, let's not talk about it. Anyway, fired you. <laughs> how can anybody fire him? He's such a wonderful guy. Let's you know not talk I mean? about it. They uh, let you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How can they let me go? I'm just a beautiful guy. Anyway. Let's not talk about it. You were, you were shooken up by it. <laughs> Let's say they go, hey, open door. Get out of here. <laughs> anyway, I'm uh, over that. I uh, just can't remember the name of the place. But anyway, Stacey Davis Gates has been coming on my show forever. And so now folks are starting to associate Stacey with this show. And they go, hey, Benny, get Stacey to end this strike. You know, like Stacey listens to me. Anyway, that was so a lot of pressure. People feeling a little testy. Even I'm getting uh, heat on it. Uh, who else is under pressure? How about Eddie Johnson, police chief Eddie Johnson, superintendent of police? Uh, he's in trouble. They found him slumped over his car driving. D. Uh, was he drinking? Uh, we don't know. Investigation to follow. They didn't do a test on him. Uh, but uh, this is going to be Inspector General. Um, uh, in investigation of this D, but this is the gives us the answer of the question: Who, uh, besides the school children of Chicago, is most appreciative of the teacher strike? 
Eddie Johnson. Why? Because if it wasn't for the teacher strike, it would be Eddie Gate all over the front pages of all. Well, that's the, a great point. You know, <laughs> Eddie Johnson's like, thank you, thank you, Stacey Davis Gates. By the way, there's one guy who's not mad at Stacey Davis Gates. I would have <laughs> an intro for it and everything. Wait a minute, goofy <laughs> segment. It would have been goofy. Day one of Johnson Gate. But instead, <laughs> no one's talking about it because everybody's talking about the teacher strike. So Eddie Johnson, send some flowers to Stacey Davis Gates, would you? She's the best friend you got out there right now. How about Mayor Pete? Pete Gate, Mayor Pete, Mayor Buttigieg, uh, Dennis's favorite presidential candidate. How'd you know? <laughs> I was going to reveal that today on the show. You should hear the things he says about Mayor Pete when we're not on the air. Anyway, I don't like him. Yeah, he's the pride and joy of South Bend, Indiana, and he's apparently the favorite of Dems everywhere. Capital D Dems, uh, the the Rom crowd. Uh, he apparently, uh, Steve Patton. All right, follow me on this, folks. We'll be talking about this with. Um, uh, Maya later in the show. Steve Patton, who's Rom's Corporation Counsel, Mayor Rom. He was the chief lawyer for the city when the, the mayor was uh, about 2014, 2015. And he was the one, he was the lawyer who advised Rom on what to do with the video showing uh, Jason Van Dyke shooting Laquan McDonald. And apparently it was his advice to fight uh, any attempt to publicize it and to pay the family $5 million to just go away. The family, the Laquan McDonald's family. Uh, so now, uh, since the uh, a Cook County judge ordered the video released, everybody realizes that the Mayor Rahm's administration was covering up a potential crime. No, let's take potential out of there. Uh, uh, a, a murder, a shooting. And uh, so who? someone's got to take the fall. It's Steve Patton. They, get, they blame the lawyer. So this is the lawyer, folks. Okay, this is not the guy who makes the decision. This is the, the guy who advises the mayor who makes the decision. It was Mayor Rahm's decision. Anyway, Steve Patton is now in uh, private practice. He's not with the city anymore. And he's a supporter of Mayor Pete. And it turns out he gave money at a fundraiser for Mayor Pete. The story broke in Associated Press. The Tribune followed up with a story. Greg Hines, can we give a shout out to Greg Hines? Hey, Greg. Greg Hines from Chicago Cranes. We like to tease him because he's not the world's greatest poker player. Okay, uh, we can get an interview if you just don't. say something nice about him. Yeah. All right, he's not the world's greatest poker player, but uh, he is pretty much of a bulldog reporter, and he came up with the story. He was the one who, uh, I first read it, that uh, Patton was part of a, a fundraising uh, fundraising affair for um, uh, Mayor Pete at some rich guy's house here in Chicago. Mayor Pete was in town, and rich people love Mayor Pete, and uh, so they were giving money to Mayor Pete, and now Mayor Pete's so embarrassed He's giving the money back. But, Dee, my question for you is this. <laughs> Why is the lawyer the pariah? Meanwhile, Rom's on ABC giving his advice to Dems. Um, here's what you do. Uh, do what I did. Oh, great. Thank you, Mayor Rom. You had such great advice from you. Your lawyer is a pariah. Buttigieg just got to give the money back. But somehow or other, Mayor Rom is sailing. I don't get it, man. It sort of reminds me of Michael Cohen and Donald Trump. Cohen was the lawyer. He's in the federal pen. Donald Trump, meanwhile, is the president of the United States. How come they always make the lawyers the fall guys, huh, D? I'm sticking up for lawyers everywhere. You're welcome, Steve Patton. Anyway, what else? City Club Gate. Man, this blew my mind when I saw this story. And let's give a shout out to Dan Miopoulos, uh and Dave McKinney from WBEZ, your favorite radio station, D. Uh, to okay, so Mayor <laughs> Pete's my favorite. WBEZ's my favorite. And Loving You. Have you, been, have you gotten to my phone? Yeah. You know my life. Uh, and Don't Forget Loving You by Minnie Ripperton. But um, anyway, Dan Miopoulos, a great investigative reporter, and uh, Dave McKinney uh, did this, uh, uncovered the fact that the feds came a knocking. 
on the doors of the City Club, right? Looking for documents related to their ongoing investigation of House Speaker Michael Madigan. Well, we think it's an ongoing investigation of House Speaker Michael Madigan. The feds haven't really said who they're investigating. We've been talking about this forever, D. They're investigating someone, and my bet is it's Michael Joseph Madigan. Big tuna. They already got Ed Burks, and now they're going after Michael Joseph Madigan. Uh, and uh, somehow or other, they thought it was relevant to... Uh, 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 to, to get the documents from the city club. Now, look, folks, let me just explain this. The city club is like this, what's this, like goo-goo, good government type, uh, uh, the movers and shakers get together to discuss the issues of the day place. They, they, You're supposed to go there to talk about corruption as though it's ironic. Oh, my God, what a city. We can't believe it's so corrupt. It turns out they're the focus of a corruption investigation. What has the world come to, D? The City Club. How corrupt can the city of Chicago be where the place people go to talk about corruption is itself a subject of corruption? Now, in defense of the City Club, they were just looking for documents related to, I don't know what. We, I'm not quite sure what they were looking for. It's just kind of embarrassing that the City Club is a subject or is a source for of this investigation. Let me just say this, one more thing I have to tell you. I was at the City Club. Was it about two months ago, D? Was it two months ago? Huh? Well, yeah, yeah. I think about two or three months ago. I remember it was hot outside. It was hot. I didn't want to go. Why did I go? I was invited. I was going to tell them, no, I can't go because they were inviting me to speak with other couple other reporters around the time we start the show. So I said, I'm not going to go. Dr. D said, you're going. The conversation went like this. I don't want to go. Get over there and promote the show. So anyway, I went. Hold on, D. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, sorry. You're apologizing to items. Oh, sorry about that piece of paper. I got a certificate for it right here. Okay. <laughs> hey, don't say don't give me anything when you go to the city club. City club is here, Chicago. I got the camera on your show. Oh, there we go. City club. It says, loving you because you're beautiful. Oh. And every day that you, who, oh, wow. They were quoting the Minnie Ripperton song. Uh, anyway, they give everybody that shows up there a certificate. All right. You didn't I, add the birds in the song. This time. Oh, wait, hold on. Yeah, it says, caw, caw, caw. Oh, it's the birds in the city club. It's embarrassing, man. The city club is the subject. It's like the subject of the investigation. They got feds calling out documents. This is the place you go to talk about investigations of corruption. It's not a place where you, you do investigations of corruption. It's so embarrassing, man. There's no safe zones anymore. I, I, any day now, I expect to hear, open up in that studio. <laughs> I thought it was a good idea at the time, man. I'm sorry. I didn't know. What are they going to haul? They got all these tapes here. They're going to haul. Whoops. Better watch that drawer yeah. there. <laughs> oh, my God. We had a Bendrowski blooper there. Oh, my goodness. They're going to come in. They're going to take away my Mueller report. Let's take a look at that Mueller report. Man, there's no but There's no. Pl hey, I lost my little Bendrowski <laughs> sticker thing. Um, I think this is from the City Club. It is from the City yeah. Club. Oh, I got two things from the City Club. I got this beautiful certificate. Caw, caw, caw. And this name card. Anyway, what an embarrassment to the city of Chicago. How corrupt the place are we, where the place people go to talk about corruption is under investigation for corruption. They're look, taking documents out of the city club. Uh, by the way, Danny Mahopoulos will be here in this studio for a bonus interview. I cannot wait. He's a bulldog investigator reporter. He used to work for the Chicago Sun-Times. Now, as I said, he works for BEZ. He's one of my favorite reporters in the city of Chicago. He and Dave McKinney did a great job uh, on, on tracking that story. Kudos to both of them. By the way, Dave McKinney was on the show. Remember that? 
that day? Oh, yeah. He was talking about Goyevich tapes. Hey, if you got some time this weekend, go back and listen to that one. That was don't like, mind foul language. Yes, not by Dave McKinney, but by Rod Blagojevich. Uh, that was a great show. Anyway, so I just just think of Chicago, it's got to be the most corrupt place in America. If even the safe zone for corruption is under investigation. We got a great show today, everybody. Maya will be here. We'll be talking about, um, oh my goodness, we'll be talking about teacher strike. We'll be talking about, um, uh, I'll probably talk about Eddie Johnson Gate with her. And we'll talk about Mayor Buttigieg, uh, Mayor Pete, and whether he should take money from Steve Patton. Whether it's unfair to make Steve Patton a pariah and Mayor Rahm's on ABC TV giving uh, advice to Democrats, but Buttigieg has got to give the money back for Steve Patton. Uh, is it the lawyer to blame? who gave advice, or is it the mayor who took the advice to be blamed? We'll be discussing that with Maya. Troy LaRavier from the Chicago Principals Association. It's a long time since Troy's been on the show, Mm -hmm. Dee. Troy LaRavier is one of the most outspoken progressives in the city of Chicago, and uh, he will be here at 2 o'clock. We'll be talking all kinds of local news, nationals, teacher strike, uh, how we fund schools, whether there's enough nurses in the public schools. But then we'll go national. Troy. Troy was a Bernie Sanders delegate in 2016, so I'm sure he has a lot to say about the ongoing presidential uh, primaries and and how far the Dems should go to the left or how much they should go to the middle, which is an endless uh, topic, a fasc- uh, fascinating topic here on the Ben Jobsky Show. So plenty of political talk ahead of us before we do any of that. The doctor with the news. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Let's unpack the Chicago and or Illinois news happening this up. Oh, my God. No, <laughs> they're here. Hold on. Who's at the door? Quick, hide the Mueller report. The oh, my God. I'm going to hide my city club certificate. <laughs> here. Don't let them see the city club certificate, huh? By the way, I think I'm probably on the Danny Solis tapes as well. Danny Solis was the, the, the sleazy alderman for the 25th Ward. It was uh, wearing the wire on Ed Burke. I probably called him one or time. Oh, man, D, I'm up to my eyeballs on this stuff. It was just the janitor, by the way. Oh, thank goodness. I thought it was the feds looking for the, our copy of the Mueller report. Let's unpack the Chicago and or Illinois news happening this Tuesday afternoon. No public event scheduled for the Illinois governor today. But, Mr. Jarofsky, don't you think that he's just roundering around doing nothing, <laughs> all right? Because on Monday, while you were feverishly typing away on your latest Chicago Reader column, real quick, in two words, describe your latest masterpiece from the Chicago Reader. Uh, hmm, two words? Two words. Uh, bad politics. Bad politics. All right. How about that? It'll drop online soon, everybody. Check it out when it does. ChicagoReader.com. All right. Back to business. Mm -hmm. Governor Pritzker released his transportation plan for Illinois road projects, a plan that involves spending $23 billion. Yes. That's billion with a B. (laughs) Okay. With all due respect, Mayor, your portion of the local news segment is next. Talking about the governor right now. Hang back. We'll get to you in a few moments. Okay. Thanks. Under the details of the plan announced Monday by IDOT, the state's Highway District 1, which includes Cook, DuPage, Kane, Lake, McHenry, and Will Counties, will see more than $6.6 billion of investment in road and bridge work over the next five years. Among the key highway projects are an estimated $561 million in work on the Kennedy Expressway uh, in Chicago and Rosemont, roughly $210 million of work around the Jane Byrne Interchange in Chicago and nearly $119 million for railroad grade separation on Illinois 43 in Bedford Park. Ben, is there a specific road or street here in Cook County that uh, you may want IDOT to put a fix on? Yes, uh, Damon Avenue. 
Damon. Damon. Yes. I, when I ride my bike uh, to the studio, Damon, I'm dodging potholes as I go. Damon Abbott. Hey, get right to it, JB. Uh, Governor Pritzker, get right over there and fix the potholes on Damon. How about that? All right, D? Any other streets? Damon? We got Damon on the list. Uh, yeah, Clark Street. Oh, my goodness. Clark Street. I'm dodging the potholes on Clark Street as well. And, and by the way, Evanston's not. You go into Evanston on Chicago. Come on, Evanston. <laughs> Fix up Chicago Avenue, uh, just south of, uh, excuse me, just north of Howard Street. So yeah, plenty of uh, plenty of road work uh, needed in the in and around Chicago. Viaducts need to be fixed. So money well spent, in my humble opinion. Once again, a twenty-three billion dollar transportation plan. Mm-hmm. Hey Pritzker, how about we call it a twenty-two billion dollar plan? You throw that extra billion over to our Chicago teachers, and we call it a day on these negotiations, huh? That's what I'd be asking if I were Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> yes, it's your turn now, Mayor. Okay. By the way, that's a great suggestion. And by the way, have you noticed that uh, Governor Pritzker's been awfully quiet lately mm. about the Chicago teacher strike? I don't remember. Has he spoken out about it one way or the other? I don't know. Let's speculate. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? I think he's just like, oh, there's no need for me to get in the middle of this one, so I'm just going to avoid it. Meanwhile, I'm taking the hard blows at bowling from Norm. All right. Hey, tell Stacey Davis, <laughs> tell your girl to end this thing. I'm like, why am I getting all the heat? And Governor Pritzker's just sailing through. Yeah. You notice Governor Pritzker just kind of sails through life. Like, nothing ever seems to touch him or, you know, he's just like, I'm the governor. Hey, hey, everybody likes him. Nobody blames him for anything. Man, the feds are knocking the on the door. Are, you're the freaking city, me out. Of the city club. I'm worried. I wish I would have never talked you into going to that thing. Oh, yes, you're fine. Wait, but I did get the certificate. Let's okay, well, that. that is pretty cool. Did I get a cup? Yeah. Yeah. I got a cup. I forgot I got a cup, too. Life is good. I got the certificate, a cup, and a name card, man. Hey, leave the city club alone. Corruption's awesome. (laughs) I win. I got a cup. I forgot the cup. Well, I did get a cup. And the name card. All right. Let's let's talk about the mayor. On Wednesday, Mayor Lightfoot will be delivering her budget address and announcing her plans to get the city of Chicago out of that $838 million budget deficit. I'm sure we're going to be discussing that on tomorrow's show. But today, we have to talk about day six of the teacher strike. Or is it day four? Do you count weekends? No. Day four. Come on. Day four. We have to talk about the the kids would get those days off anyway. Day four of the Chicago teacher strike. Uh, The Chicago teachers union. Yes, they're still on strike. No school today. Lori Lightfoot's Tuesday schedule included a visit to the Marwin Arts Center to visit students affected by the CPS work stoppage. She held a press conference on the teacher strike. We're about to hear some of it. But before we do that, Ben, uh, give us the details on Monday's CTU strike update. Mayor Lightfoot's letter. Oh, that was Lettergate. Oh, yes, Lettergate. Mayor, <laughs> Mayor Lightfoot wrote a letter uh, to uh, Jesse Sharkey, who's the president of the Chicago Teachers Union. And somehow or other, D, that letter uh, found its way to the Chicago Tribune. Isn't that interesting? She wrote the letter to Jesse Sharkey, and it found its way to the Chicago Tribune. If I were a cynical reporter like Maya, my next guest, I would say that Lori Lightfoot's people planted that letter with the Chicago Tribune, knowing that the Chicago Tribune would use it to hammer the teachers. But I'm not a cynical person like Maya. Uh, <laughs> I'm idealistic, and I'm just like, maybe, you know, Jesse gave it to the Tribune. Uh, who knows? Uh, but yeah, the letter basically said, hey, teachers, we can't reach a settlement. So here's what you're going to do. You go back to work and your strike. Forgetting, of course, the fact that the 
that the, any movement that has occurred happened after the teachers went on strike. And it just sort of undercuts the idealism I have that people in the city of Chicago will do the right thing if you don't force them to do the right thing. Uh, what is it that Frederick Douglass said? Power concedes nothing without a struggle. And uh, it's as true today as it was when he said it back in 1850-something or other, 1860, whenever he said it. And the fact of the matter is, is that it's the strike by the teachers that has moved the city toward agreeing to put into a contract money uh, for, a, or a guarantee to hire nurses, et cetera, uh, so workers and so forth they weren't talking that way before the strike so as much as i don't like it when unions have to go on strike and as much as i don't like it when the schools have to close down uh because of a strike you know it does seem as though like the city made commitments it should have been making months ago only after the teachers went on strike. Just throwing that out there, D. All right. And for the record, you're one of the most cynical people I've ever met in my life. All right. <laughs> let's hear from the mayor. Shout out to ABC7 Chicago for the audio. Well, you know, it's a, it's unfortunate. Um, and our team is back at the table. And I know at least a portion of their bargaining team is there. It's unfortunate that uh, the larger bargaining team has decided that they're going to take the day off. There should be, there should be a sense of urgency all the way around. And I'm never we're going to shy away from um, publicizing to the union and also to the public the hardships that our students and our families are facing. Look, I'm a kid who grew up um, really trying to take advantage of all the opportunities that my public school education uh, gave me, and one of which was participating in athletics. I was never going to go on to the next level, but they were important to me. They were important to my teammates. Uh, and we, what we're seeing is real human cost um, for this work stoppage and I felt um, like and, and I know Dr. Jackson and um, President Devalier joined me in thinking we needed to highlight the human cost of this work stoppage. We have been making progress, not enough, not fast enough, um, but we felt like it was important to um, uh, to let the union and let the public know what's actually happening um, and the consequences for our young people and ask them in good faith um, to come back and continue bargaining in good faith. They've obviously rejected that, but I'm not going to shy away from the fact that I have a responsibility to carry with me the weight and the hardship that our young people and their families are facing during this work stoppage, and I'm never going to shy away from talking about those things that I think are important. I agree. You should highlight the human costs of uh, public action, in which case we should highlight the human costs to thousands and thousands of kids who have gone through the Chicago public schools for decades and decades, uh, even though their school system is underfunded. Uh, across the board you talk about athletics that this is i mean i've followed sports in the city of chicago since the 70s and uh the chicago public schools have always have always underfunded their athletic program the 70s the 80s the 90s the gyms of chicago man it was like they, they were so slippery there was no traction there were little lights the, the the locker rooms were a sham nobody spoke out about that back then there was always money for any of the big ticket items that every mayor wanted, but the, the schools, the sports programs of the city were overlooked. It's only now we're going to be talking about this with Conrad Worrell, uh, in a, I think later today in a, in a bonus segment. Uh, it's only now that we have one indoor facility, indoor track facility in the entire city of Chicago. It's funny that the powers that be in the city only talk about the kids when they want to use them to get the one group that's like standing up for the kids to sit down and go back to work. And I keep coming back to this. 
I don't want to be cynical, D, but I have to say this, that the city only started addressing the chronic issues of underfunding in our public schools after the teachers went on strike. Before the teachers went on strike, it was, here's your pay raise, take the money, shut up, go back to work. We promise uh, we're going to hire some nurses, et cetera, and so forth. We're going to put it in the contract. Uh, we're going to put it in the budget. Anybody knows anything about budgets in the public schools in the city of Chicago, budgets are written with pen in pencil so you can erase them. And they could just, just putting something in a budget does not mean you're actually going to hire somebody uh, in a school. And so I, I. Someone one told, once told me a budget is just promises wrapped in lies. <laughs> Wow. Did I tell you that? No. Okay. It was Ron Nixon from the New York Times. Uh, that is... <laughs> one more time. Say that again. A budget is just uh, a bunch of promises wrapped in lies. Yes. So there you go. You put it in writing, put it in a contract. Uh, the uh, Lincoln Yards developers got their promises in contracts. It's in a contract. Lori Lightfoot says she can't break that contract. It's in a contract. So if you if you care about the kids of Chicago as much as you care about the development of Lincoln Yards, you should put it in a contract. For those listening on the download, our Chicago Reader colleague Maya Duke Moss was here. Yeah, Maya Duke Moss has entered the studio and just <laughs> jumped in with that great quote, which I wish I had written down. I'll get it at the next break. All right, we have more audio from Lori Lightfoot. We're going to play that a little later on uh, when Troy LaRavier joins us. Let's hear from the teacher's side. Here's CTU President Jesse Sharkey. I do want to say something about what's going on in, in the Chicago Public Schools. Um, uh, yesterday, uh, negotiations took a turn for the worse after a productive weekend uh, in which we thought we were we, we could start. We thought we were starting to see um, where we were going to land. If we hadn't landed yet, at least I thought we could see um, how we were going to get there. Um, the board essentially said that, um, it followed. It followed what the mayor, the mayor was saying in public. Sent a letter to this effect, and then the, the, the negotiators at the table started saying the exact same thing, which is we're out of money. There, there's there's no more place. There's no more places for us to go. Um, which that was extremely disappointing there. Uh, it was, it, it showed that although the mayor is saying, I, I want a quick agreement, really what she meant is that we should compromise on the remaining, uh, on the remaining issues that would look like justice in the schools. Uh, she wants us to simply give up on some of the most basic things that we're asking for. And uh, that's not the way labor negotiations work. And this is what you see here, this is becoming a two-sided process in which our voice, the voice of educators, has to enter the conversation and be taken seriously. Uh, and and that's, where we, that's where we stand. Yeah, I had thought when the, I woke up Saturday and read the newspapers, they were talking optimistically, and then uh, apparently that was just one round of negotiations. Maya and I have been on a, at a bargaining table. Negotiations, tough thing. Uh, we When we were negotiating our contract at the Reader, which is nothing like the scale of what the Chicago teachers are negotiating with Lori Lightfoot now, but there's like... Good days and bad days, right, Maya? There's just some days that just you can't come to see eye to eye, and then some days there's like a little glimmer of hope, and then uh, I guess we're back to the bad days here. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if you want me to start talking, but I have just a lot of thoughts. Yeah, well, let her rip. All right, go. So <laughs> I mean, as well. it's, it's just like, I don't know. Yes, last week I went, um, I spent the first morning of the strike with uh, the elementary teachers at uh, Bond Elementary in Inglewood. And like hearing what they're talking about and what they're dealing with, it's just, it becomes like, it, you like hearing Lori Lightfoot say that they're doing this out of concern 
for the human costs for the teacher, you know, for the parents and the students, uh, you know, like, it's just insane. I mean, these teachers at the school were telling me stories about like changing diapers for students who are like fourth graders, fifth graders, sixth graders with special needs, like being in a classroom of like 18, like 18 special ed students, some of whom are nonverbal, like some of whom need constant one-on-one attention and being alone in that classroom, uh, like second grade classrooms with 38 students, like spending thousands of dollars of their own money every year to buy clothes for students because they're, they have so many homeless students to buy clothes, to buy food, supplies. I mean, they have a washer and dryer inside their school so they could wash students clothes because they're homeless or they have none of that at home. And these kids are like dealing with tremendous problems outside of the school. I mean, people, the the teachers were talking about how much domestic violence they hear about that their students are dealing with, the stuff they have to deal with on the streets. This one teacher who actually himself had gone to Bonn when he was a kid in the 70s um, and was talking about how the neighborhood has changed a lot in that, in his opinion, when he was growing up, the violence was like much more widespread, but the school had a lot more resources to help deal with it um and and help kids kind of find an escape from all that and he says that now i mean it's a lot more the the violence is still there it's not it's it does it's not as widespread but like the kid that the school doesn't have any like hardly any resources to give to students to to help them cope he was saying that he you know he's got kids who like you know will come to school after seeing like a dead body in the street lying there for like three or four hours it could be their relative like someone they know who's been shot and just is lying out in the street. Like this is what their ki- these kids are dealing with. And it, it's just like, it, it's, it, it, this is the result of decades of racist and inequitable local government, state government and federal government decisions. But like at some point, somebody has to start doing something about this, you know? Like you can't keep telling people to wait you can't i mean this is it's like a five-year contract like that is that is an like that is a kid's entire elementary school experience like that isn't their entire early childhood education that's an entire high that's more than an entire high school education you know like it's just um i i think you know (laughs) lori lightfoot would never send her kid to bond elementary school like her kid is not going to be at a school without a gym teacher, without an art class, without a guidance counselor who can adequately address her kid's needs when she, you know, her kid is not going to be, her kid is not going to be in a situation where they're in a classroom where, you know, what their <laughs> the sixth grade classmate still has to have diapers changed. Like it's just, like, you know, like this is, this is how children are living in the city of Chicago. Like this, and this is the, this is the sort of like these educators are in a position to have to be these students' parents for eight hours out of the day. And they're responsible for educating these kids. And on top of that, their entire, I mean, they, their performance at doing that is judged. And like, you know, the, the tests, like all of that stuff is there, that pressure to prove that they are good teachers is there, but they're, but, but they're again, like they're, they're performing parental duties. Because these kids have nothing outside of school a lot of times. 
nothing and no amount of like disciplinarian punishment centered logic from the city bootstraps type of rhetoric is going to fix the fact that like you know like a, a fifth a quarter of the students at these some of these schools are homeless they're homeless so yeah i mean it's i just really i i really hope that you know the media i guess my 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 the only whatever thoughts i have could can only be addressed to the media in terms of like advice or or some kind of moral appeal or whatever but i just you know like coverage of the strike has to revolve around the most impacted schools the, the schools that are the, the teachers and the kids and the schools that are at the very very mm-hmm. knife point of all of this austerity and it's places like bond elementary all right we'll get into the media coverage of the strike in a little while uh, but uh, very well put. And uh, yeah, the Chicago, this teacher strike is forcing the city to come sort of face to face with the consequences of all these inequities in funding that have existed for years and years and years. And in some level, I, I don't believe that the city of Chicago itself uh, has the resources to, to fully overcome these inequities and that it needs help from the state and it needs help from the feds. And it's obvious that the federal government has a role to play in, in education, funding education. And obviously the federal government has been retreating on this front, especially under Trump. But at some point, you're absolutely right, Maya, at some point, somebody has to make a real stand on this. And, and Lori Lightfoot's probably ruining the day that she's the one who has to do it. Rom didn't do it. Daly didn't do it. Uh, it, these problems have existed. These inequities have existed for years and years, and and it, it's coming to a head now. And uh, yeah, so I don't. I and it's like, you know, I, part of me is just like, man, she's going to be a one-term mayor no matter what. Like, what an opportunity it would be to just like start fixing the goddamn problem. Wait, tell me, you think she's going to be? Why do you think she's going to be a one-term I mean, mayor? You know, I don't know. I I just a lot people who are really much more knowledgeable about this stuff than me have been saying that from the beginning. And I kind of, I don't know. Do you think it's because she willing, will not want to serve more than one term or because she'll be defeated? No, because, I mean, she, she, she will be, a lot of people are going to be disappointed in her no matter what she does. But, like, <laughs> she, it, is, it, is, it is wrong that we have schools in these conditions. That children are going to school in these conditions. That people that people are working. Like, I mean, there. I, I met a guy on the bargaining team on the CTU bargaining team who, who's a who works full time as a special ed teaching assistant. He makes twenty eight thousand dollars a year. He has a whole, second job. Like he he he's always had second jobs. He used to work at Walmart. Like, you know, I met a a, a teaching a, a classroom assistant, another assistant for a special ed classroom who uh you know she makes like 40 grand she's got five kids and she's in school to get her master's in education so she can advance her career she's doing the bootstrap thing and she's got a whole other second job at night so she she's in school from 9 30 to 4 30 or from 9 to 4 30 every day then she goes to class for her master's and then from 9 p.m till 2 a.m she works a second job and then she sleeps between 2.30 and 5 a.m. Because then she's got to wake up and get her own kids ready for school and out the door and all of that. This woman is 29 years old. How long do you think you can live that way? Like, 
That's, that's insane. So I, I like, I don't know. Everybody thinks they can, you know, preserve the length of their political career by, by making the right people happy at the right time and sort of sailing away on, on, on a message and on a talking point and whatever. But like, I don't know. It's, um, this is just, this is so, this is so bleak. It's so bleak. And it's so, it's like so ridiculous to hear her say that like, you know, oh, like we got to think about the human costs here of the strike. Like as if these kids are dealing with anything in the last four days that, that isn't like, you know, they they deal with way, way worse at school every day. Yeah, so the human cost only started uh, tallying up when the teachers went on strike, as if there wasn't a human cost for these inequities before the teachers went on right. strike. And there it, won't be one after the right. teachers and come back to the work. The other thing that the, that the teachers at Bond told me was that, you know, when the, the, the ROM closed the school, the 50 schools in 2013, one of the schools that closed was Guggenheim Elementary. And the students from there wound up at Bond. And this was like in whatever, 2012, 2013. And, you know, the teachers were explaining what an impact it like. So so these are also schools that are that are dealing with the human cost of the school of the other school closures that have absorbed the impact of the other school closures as well. That have been like, quote unquote, welcoming schools that I mean, people's jobs got tremendously harder after that. I mean, one of these one of these teachers who's been a, a, a CPS teacher for like 31 years, she was talking about how, you know, when the kids from the closed schools, uh, you know, started showing up. I mean, they had that school that closed was so under resourced for so long. The kids had complete. There was like, it, I mean, it was chaos at the school. The kids were not used to like a normal structured school environment at all, and that existed in a little bit of a better shape at Bond. And when the, when the students arrived from the closed school, I mean, they had been used to being able to like, I don't know, just kind of like not do anything in school to be like using drugs in school to be like, nobody was watching them. No people, people were like that, that school was so understaffed and under-resourced. There was like no educational activity going on for these kids at all for a really long time. And so that, you know, then they came to bond all kinds of conflicts started between the students, you know, the new students and the existing students. So then the teachers were like dealing with the, with, with that, with like all the discipline surrounding that again, while being expected to like educate these kids. So yeah, it's bleak. It's, it's really bleak, but I, I, um, I don't know. I just, I really hope that, uh, the media, continues to cover the strike from the perspective of like what is the status quo at these schools all right we'll get into more about the media's yeah, coverage I, say, I, got, I, got, I got some here right now uh, i was going to say we got one more piece of audio to play here and it may get some more national coverage because 2020 presidential candidate elizabeth warren was uh, joining the teachers today what school was she at? I'm here to up. stand for America's public schools. I believe in... I'm here to stand with Chicago teachers. I'm here to stand with Chicago nurses. I'm here to stand with Chicago's librarians. I'm here to stand with Chicago's bus drivers.
drivers. I'm here to stand with the low-wage workers in the Chicago schools. Right. I'm here to stand with every one of the people who stand for our children every day. Everyone in America should support you in this strike. And the reason is because when you go out and fight, you don't just fight for yourselves, you fight for the children of this city and the children of this country. Elizabeth Warren uh, in Chicago. I don't know what school it was, but uh, it's funny. You'll get a, uh, a stronger proclamation of support uh, for the striking school teachers the, from politicians the further away, I guess, you get from the city of Chicago, Maya. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, who, Bernie Sanders was also uh, supporting the teachers. So it's obvious that uh, uh, somehow or other, in, in terms of national politics, it's, it's safer uh, to support to Chicago, politically safer than it is on local uh, in local politics, that's for certain. Um, Elizabeth Warren in town uh, to support the Chicago teachers. Yeah, no, I asked where, which, um, I asked which school she was at because I do think it's important. Uh, it says here Warren's trip on Tuesday, Chicago's West Side, an elementary school. Uh, uh, Oscar DePriest. There we go. Yeah. So this was actually, this was, um, I think this, they, they, they picked a good school to, well, a relatively good place to do this because i mean this is like a it's a school in good standing level two plus um and it's 93 percent black 97 percent low income 24 percent special needs kids so th i think this is like a pretty typical of like the t a typical neighborhood school that that's experiencing these problems I'm, I'm glad that they decided to do this at a school that you know, really, really is, 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 is probably facing the brunt of these problems because I was very disappointed if I can make a criticism of the union of the teachers union and how they're kind of handling the public relations about this. But I could not believe that they brought in Randy Weidgarten from the, from the American Federation of Teachers, the, the main person at, at the EFT, the president. And she went to Taft Lane and Whitney, like, you know, like, that's not where the problem is. I mean, I'm sure they did it that way because it was going to be easier to bring media into those schools or whatever. But, um, yeah, I just uh, I feel like a, a place like the priest is much more representative of of of, of the issues that the strike is all about. Well, it's interesting when I'm listening to Elizabeth Warren talking about defining it in terms of uh, nurses and terms of librarians, uh, something uh, uh, like services that would directly benefit kids. It's so different. Then, by and large, what I hear uh, in in Chicago, in the coverage coming out of Chicago, in Chicago, it's just like viewed as a political struggle between uh, Tony Preckwinkle's forces and Mayor Lightfoot. It's viewed in the most like uh, parochial. <laughs> by who the new the 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 the, the Trib and the Sun Times, like the the news reporters at the two newspapers and on on the tv stations like who who views yes. it that way i mean you that's, just answered the question yes you know i don't know and uh uh and it's in some degrees the uh politicians i saw quoted in the paper today michael scott who's the chair of the education committee this person's the city council's education committee so if there would be a body 
within the city council that it could, could examine how we spend our money in the public schools, it would be this one. If there would be a body in the city of Chicago that could examine, for instance, uh, how TIF money is used and how the impact it has on taxpayers and the impact it has on the public schools and the impact it has on classrooms, it would be this body. And his quote was, well, we have to learn from the, the uh, union. The union is like a well, it's, it's a machine and it's getting the advantage out of it. And I'm thinking... The union right now is on strike losing pay over the issues of hiring more nurses and more librarians and more social workers. Now, you could argue that, what, we, I don't think we need more, nor, I, I, we don't need more social workers. I'd like to see them make that argument. The Tribune kind of advanced that argument today in one of its columns that we don't need more nurses, like with parents. The parents Who said that? It was in the Tribune today. Well, uh, who's the columnist? Krista McQuarrie. Uh, librarians at every school? Question. Not necessary in the digital world of education. Nurses at every school? Not necessary at most schools where parents pick up sick kids anyway. CTU's demands are about building union memberships, not 25% of students in some of these schools are homeless. What parent picking up? Like what? I'm, I'm fairly certain that Kristen's kids don't go to CPS schools. Well, whatever. I don't know anything about her uh, her kids. But- I do know she found one teacher. This story is where she quoted, she found one teacher who uh, is upset with the union. And uh, he, he made headlines in 2016 when he refused to join CTU's one day walkout. So she's essentially using him and his quotes uh, to say that uh, the teachers are overreaching, that they don't need a librarian in every school. Look, I know there's negotiations, part of negotiation, like how many librarians do we have to have in the city? But just on that one notion, it's totally absurd. The, the idea that like kids don't need librarians because there's information they could get from Google. You know what I'm saying? So, so like, well, you just go Google it. You don't need a librarian. As though that's like, that's a substitute for some a, somebody who will teach a kid critical thinking and how to use ma- martial uh, resources to come up with an argument, a persuasive argument in, in a paper or a document to be like a... And to, also like to be in another adult in their lives. <laughs> I know. We don't need them. We don't need them anymore. We don't because need these homeless kids who are dealing with domestic violence and seeing people they know shot on the street laying out for hours. They don't need more adults, stable adults with, you know, that professional are professional degrees. Yes. With, who are who are whose whole job is to be there for them. They don't need those people no. in their lives because the digital world of education. They could just find it on Google. Google, Google will help them deal with their <laughs> domestic violence problems yeah. with their parents. You know, whatever. Google like, homelessness and then just follow it. Yeah. This is so, uh, Google is great at solving homelessness. You see what they're doing in San Francisco, they're just you know cl- the city is free of homeless people. Yes. They've been cleared cleared right out. Google's there, taking care of the homelessness problem. Thanks yes. Google. Thanks Google. <laughs> Let's see advice from the truth. That's what I'm saying. Oh, we don't need more librarians. Just Google it. We don't need nurses. Just have the parents pick the kids up. Well, what if the kids homeless? And you know what? I yeah. can bet you people who advance those kinds of arguments probably have all kinds of strict rules about screen time with their kids. You know. All kinds of rules to make sure their kids aren't zombified by their phones, you know, not completely, you know, that their brains are not completely shut off, you know, via via constant interaction with the screen. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I... When it's somebody else's kid, you know, fuck it. Well, it, and, and that's essentially what's at the heart of this fight, somebody else's kid. And... I saw a kid come, come up to the picket line of Bond... He had graduated the previous year, so he was like in his first year of high school. His kid was 14 years old. He came to give some of his teachers a hug 
and to say hi and to get some money. And and one one of his teachers like gave him, you know, a handful of change to take with him and like <laughs> that's what these that's that's what these these teachers are are like a lifeline yeah. for these students. And and it's uh the teachers go on strike, schools shut down, kids can't participate in uh after school athletics because of the crazy rules of the Illinois High School Association. Uh and then they talk they talk about the human cost. It's a, they only talk about the human cost when the teachers want to strike, when they could pin it on the teachers alone. Never talk about the human cost of these funding inequities that have existed mm-hmm. for years and years and years. Yeah. But because the teachers went, oh, there's a human cost. Let's talk about the human cost. All of a sudden, everybody cares about the human cost when you can blame it on striking teachers. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but uh, Elizabeth Warren. If you want to talk about the human cost, read Ade Emanuel's story in Chalkbeat from last year about... Uh, a, a middle school kid who can barely read but because of all of the ways in which these funding issues and 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 uh, ach- achievement assessment you know markers whatever have impacted pedagogy at these schools to where like there are kids who are nearing high school age who cannot read who barely can read and they're on top of that kids who've struggled with literacy that they may have had a in, generational issues of 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 adults in their lives struggling with literacy like that's the human cost of this like those are this is what these teachers are out there trying to do something about all right that uh we're going to take a break come right back shift gears talk a little politics we'll be right back with my after this read the chicago reader to get up to speed on what's what in chicago culture food Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. I'm here to stand for America's public schools. I believe in... I'm here to stand with Chicago teachers. I'm here to stand with Chicago nurses. I'm here to stand with Chicago's librarians. I'm here to stand with Chicago's bus drivers. I'm here to stand with the low-wage workers in the Chicago schools. I'm here to stand with every one of the people who stand for our children every day. Hey, podcast fans, that's you, I'm assuming, because you're listening to this podcast. The Sun-Times political web series, The Fran Spielman Show, is now available as a podcast. Yes, she's our new studio roommate here. The Fran Sp- Oh, by the way, Fran Spielman says, uh, watch it with the avocado and cheese sandwiches, all right? She's finding avocado and cheese everywhere, dude. And I, I'm going to move my city club certificate off oh, yeah, the desk. Yeah, right? yeah, okay. That's yeah. starting to be a liability. I know. What about my city club cup? He didn't want to go. I talked him into going, and now I feel, oh, oh yeah. It, it gave us a good bit. Liability now, Ben. They're going to subpoena you. Yes. Well, here, hold on. Are you involved in the in the price fixing? Uh oh. Here we go. They're at the door. Oh, hey, give us that city Stop. club. You're cup. making me nervous. <laughs> well, hey, who knows? Maybe uh, this the Ben Jarofsky scandal will be on the Fran Spielman podcast sometime. The Fran Spielman show features weekly interviews with the lawmakers, journalists, and others who are shaping our 
Tower City. Fran holds nothing back. She goes deep into City Hall to bring you the real scoop on Chicago politics. And now you can listen to her show on all of your favorite podcast apps. Head to City Hall with Fran and get even more great political coverage from the Chicago Sun-Times. Listen and subscribe now at suntimes.com forward slash Fran hyphen show. Once again, suntimes.com forward slash F-R-A-N hyphen S-H-O-W. Please do not be the subject of the Fran Spielman Show. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, man, let's shift gears a little bit uh, and move away from the teacher story for a moment to talk about uh, uh, one of your favorite politicians, Mayor Pete. Uh, <laughs> I just, I feel like every cell in my body, it releases a sigh every time I have to think about Mayor no, Pete. No, wait, let's let's take a deep dive on that point before I get into this uh, very intriguing story about uh, Mayor Pete, Steve Patton, Mayor Rahm, uh, David Axelrod, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, why do you say that? It would just, I, I like to tease people in the studio. You're, I always say to Dennis, your favorite uh, politician, Mayor Pete, and everybody just like, sighs. Why is he so... Uh, He's so fake. He's just so, so fake. Like this whole, his whole persona, it's all like an algorithmically generated thing. He's like, he's like something, he's like something, I mean, and this article that you sent me, like, and it, oh God, Mayor, Mayor Pete is like what David Axelrod's dreams are made of. Like, this is just like, I feel like he's just something that, it, he's like a hairball that David Axelrod coughed up one day. Like, that's how I feel about Mayor Pete. <laughs> okay. You don't like that visual? <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking of that right now. Mm-hmm. A cat. Uh, it, it, and it's just like, every, everything is, is so... Uh, you know, it's all about optics. It's all about like, I mean, all, you know, a lot of these, yeah, a lot of these politicians are that way or whatever, but it's just so like, I just feel like it's so blatant with him. He's got like, you know, he's got like barely any record to run on and it's all been built up. Like he's, he's the identity candidate, but it's like, I don't know. Well, it's the worst identity candidate. Have you He's heard what uh, <laughs> our friend Samina Mustafa calls him? May- Mayo Pete. Mayo Pete. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Mayo Pete. Yeah. And uh, well, anyway, all right. uh, so uh, Mayor, uh, Mayor Pete, uh, the, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, uh, is a fundraising machine. And he comes to Chicago from time to time for a fundraiser. And I guess it was a couple weeks ago or last week uh, he was in town. Uh, at the uh, for a fundraiser that at some well-to-do person's house, and one of the people who uh, contributed was Steve Patton. And this, there's so much former corporation counsel, former corporation counsel, the mayor of McDon- McDonald cover-up fame. Yes. Now, my argument, which you feel you're free to vigorously disagree with me, is I don't know why Steve Patton is suddenly the pariah, and Mayor Rahm is not. Steve Patton was the lawyer who advised Mayor Rahm uh, on the matter of what to do with the Laquan McDonald video, which showed Jason Van Dyke shooting Laquan McDonald. The official stance at the time was that Laquan McDonald was advancing toward the, uh, the officer and uh, that the officer had no, uh, no alternative but to shoot him to save his life, essentially. That was the official line that was put out. The video contradicted that. Mm-hmm. Now, acting as an attorney, I'm, I'm going to, I am now going to give uh, a defense of Steve Patton, 
Okay, I'm not going to. He's a lawyer. His job is not to say uh, what is just and what is unjust. His job is to look out for the fiduciary interests of his client. In this case, his client's taxpayer to the city of Chicago. And his advice to Mayor Rahm is bury the tape. Don't let anybody see the tape. Pay the $5 million or whatever it is to get this off the newspapers. And we'll save more money in the long run if we do it that way. If we don't do it that way and the video becomes public and a case goes to court, it's going to cost the city a lot more money. Mm -hmm. So you could argue that that's not the just thing to do. You could argue that that's not the best thing to do in terms of transparency. You could argue that that's not the best thing to do in terms of improving police relationships with the community. You could argue that that's not the best thing to do in terms of training police how to deal with communities, et cetera, and so forth. All these arguments are absolutely valid, mm -hmm. but he's not there to be like the good guy. He's there to give straight up advice the way a lawyer gives to his client who's in trouble. Yeah. Rom took the advice. Rom followed the advice. Rom buried the tape. Rom agreed to make the payoff. The city council approved it. Yeah. Now we come fast four years from now. The lawyer patents the pariah. Buttigieg, oh my God, Buttigieg is like, as soon as I saw that money, I gave it back. He's saying that to David Axelrod, who's Rob's yeah, best okay, friend. Yeah, okay, can I just please, can I just please read this quote from this article? Yeah. This is such fucking bullshit. Okay. <laughs> during, this is a quote from the article. During his interview with Axelrod, the Obama advisor, Buttigieg said he was unaware of Patton's role in the McDonald case until Friday morning and moved quickly to sever ties. Come on, what a crock of shit. This, Patton was at his fundraiser. He knew who this guy was. He knew, this is, uh, this is why I can't fucking stand this guy. Or David Axelrod, or or any of this, like, uh, right, it's so like the belly of the Democratic Party strategic beast that's so, like, but it's so bizarre. Awful, that but people buy it. You know, people buy it. That's why it, it works so well. That's why David Axelrod has a career. This is like, because people are just like, okay, I like Mayor Pete because he makes me feel good. He, I, he's cute. He's young. He like, if I, if I say I support him, that's like kudos to me because I'm supporting a gay candidate. Like, <sighs> Well, he's very articulate. You have to give him that. The guy's quick on his feet, uh, and he, he does speak in these beautiful sentences that work into nice paragraphs. Uh, so I, I think he's gifted. There's no doubt in my mind that he's a gifted candidate, and he has a, a, a look that somehow or other, he's got that look yeah. with the, where he doesn't wear the jacket. He just wears the white shirt and the tie, and it just, oh, that's Mayor Pete. So I, I give him credit for all these things. Mm -hmm. But there's just this bizarre little twist to politics in this country, that somehow or other, the Democratic Party can confront the issues of police relationships in big in black communities in big cities like Chicago by throwing some lawyer under a bus. You <laughs> say, well, oh, well, I am outraged that I took this money. And, and, and Axelrod's like saying, uh, uh, in a bit of lecturing tone, this is from the Tribune's article, Axelrod told Buttigieg that part of raising money is, quote, creating the infrastructure to evaluate donors to avoid stories like this. This is a growing pain stories. Uh, and then to which Buttigieg says, that is not an unfair way to put it. In other words, they should have known better than to take Steve Patton's money. They should have known who Steve Patton was and not taking the money. And my, my point is, is like, why are we picking on Patton? Why is he suddenly the symbol 
for everything that went. Also, I really think that uh, the pro, if you really want to go, if you really want to find a way to think about uh, (laughs) Mayor Pete and all of this, it's like the, you shouldn't have a distaste for Mayor Pete because he would take Steve Patton's money. You should have a distaste for Mayor Mayor Pete because he would be Steve Patton's candidate. Whether or not he took he he gives this keeps the money or not, what is it about this guy that Steve Patton would find yeah. that that's his his guy, that's his candidate? Well, that's an interesting way. Of looking that at it. that is if you if 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 like if you're dis, if you are among the people who would be like outraged that Mayor Pete would take Steve Patton's money, maybe you should think about what is it about Mayor Pete that's so attractive to a guy like Steve Patton? If, if Steve Patton is the actual problem. That is a valid point, which I hadn't thought about at all, but that is an interesting point. Yes, if you think that Steve Patton, uh, it's not the money, it's just the fact that it's Steve Patton and what he represents. Yeah, I mean, like, look, if you you, like, if you think that that whole machinery that was involved with the cover-up scandal is disgusting, then like whether or not Steve Patton gives us money or Mayor Pete keeps it, that Steve Patton was at this fundraiser. That's the kind of person that's attracted to Mayor Pete. Mm. Like... But anyway, at the risk, one more time, at the risk of being completely and totally cynical, what Steve Patton did, in my humble opinion, is yeah, what lawyers do. Right. Yeah. They say, listen, you could cut your losses if you bury this tape and pay this $5 million and no one will know. And by the way, if it wasn't for uh, the judge who, ruling in a FOIA lawsuit, we, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Right. We would not know what was on that videotape, and all of Chicago politics would have been different from that point on. And uh, so I, one could argue that from the most cynical, you know, most cynical uh, viewpoint, Steve Patton gave the correct advice to Mayor Rahm. Now, one could also ar- argue that if Mayor Rahm had any, what, decency? He wouldn't have taken that advice if he really. This yeah, gets like back to a the conscience. A conscience. This gets back to the hidden costs issue we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a cost to years and years of these of interactions, city behavior, attitudes about police dealing with black communities. There's a human cost to that for the police, the taxpayers, and the residents in the black community. Everybody pays a price, but if you just bury the stuff under the table, then you can pretend you don't have to pay the cost. Yeah. So uh, our worlds are coming together. Uh, Troy LaRavier is in the studio. We're going to move uh, on to a further discussion of teachers and national politics, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, but, uh, uh, Maya, I just have to uh, just get your thoughts on City Club Gate. Uh, this is, I'll be talking about this for a long time. Danny Mahopoulos will be you in the studio. You couldn't make this shit up. <laughs> this is, this is the, Chicago continues to out Chicago itself. This is like, I'm, I, uh, yeah. That's my that's my thought on it. It's just it's it's so it's so it's so predictable yet so delicious. Like the the place where people come to discuss corruption as though it was some abstract thing that doesn't really affect their lives that because none of them are corrupt is the subject of a federal raid for documents dealing with an ongoing corruption investigation. And what's so funny is that the city club is also the place where every year the like the biggest journalists 
journalism awards ceremony in Chicago takes place where all of these reporters get <laughs> rewarded for their dogged investigation of corrupt public officials. It happens at the, the city, city club. club. Well, let me just point this out. <laughs> I have a certificate from the city club. That's a liability, man. <laughs> and I have a cut from the city club. And I just want to say one more time, the only reason I went there was because Dennis made me go. <laughs> you got to go to that. They invited me. I didn't want to go, my, I swear. I just like, you know, do I have to? Dennis, go. Promote the show. Where? Speaking of promoting the show, let's plug First Tuesdays. That's correct. Oh, that is correct. <laughs> Robert Mueller. Yeah, it's very well done. So, very skillful. Uh, November 5th. Yeah, that is correct. At... The time? 6.30. At? The Hideout. 1354 West Wabonzia, the hideout, a fantastic place. You can get drinks, watch people, hang out with like-minded political minds, you know? Uh, very well done. We're gonna be we're gonna be hosting our first first Tuesdays together. It's a new it's a new era. We're gonna have we're gonna be talking about the teacher strike with Stacey Davis Gates. Uh, either it will still be going on or uh, it'll be done, but we'll still have plenty to talk about. Right, very good. Yes, indeed. We'll be promoting that show a lot uh, coming up November 5th at the hideout. Stacey Davis Gates, Maya, and myself. All right, Maya, let's get back to your world. Troy LaRavier is settling in. Can't wait to talk. It's been a while since uh, Troy was on the show. Maybe we'll uh, have him start the show with more quotes from uh, hip-hop songs from the 1990s. Remember that, Dave? He was doing the <laughs> Tribe Call Quest. So we'll have Troy on when we return. Well, you know, it's a, it's unfortunate, um, and our team is back at the table, and I know at least a portion of their bargaining team is there. It's unfortunate that uh, the larger bargaining team has decided that they're going to take the day off. There should be there should be a sense of urgency all the way around, and I'm never going to shy away from um, uh, publicizing to the union and also to the public the hardships that our students and our families are facing. Look, I'm a kid who grew up um, really trying to take advantage of all the opportunities that my public school education uh, gave me, and one of which was participating in athletics. I was never going to go on to the next level, but they were important to me. They were important to my teammates. Um, and we, what we're seeing is real human cost um, for this work stoppage. And I felt um, like, and, and I know Dr. Jackson and um, President Devalier joined me in thinking we needed to highlight the human cost of this work stoppage. We have been making progress, not enough, not fast enough, um, but we felt like it was important to um, uh, to let the union and let the public know what's actually happening um, and the consequences for our young people and ask them in good faith um, to come back and continue bargaining in good faith. They've obviously rejected that, but I'm not going to shy away from the fact that I have a responsibility to carry with me the weight and the hardship that our young people and their families are facing during this work stoppage, and I'm never going to shy away from talking about those things that I think are important. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, October 22nd is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and sponsoring our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's show is brought to you by the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, October 22nd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show.
in this hour of the program. We're talking the teacher strike. We're talking the 2020 race and more with president of the Chicago Principals Association, Troy LaRavier. And now your host, president of nothing, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. I uh, have you know I was uh, president of the White Sox oh, fan club. I okay, forget, I forget right. about that. I forget. Not, actually, I wasn't even president. I was nothing. I was just a member of the White Sox. But nobody is. Who's gonna know? You know what I'm saying? Who's gonna remember the White Sox fan club? Waiting for that big White Sox uh, fan club reunion. We'll do a podcast of it. Make it a Benny J bonus <laughs> from Evanston High School. Long, long time ago. Uh, Troy Laravier is in the studio. There's so much to talk about with Troy. Before we do, D, you got an update? Uh, absolutely, I do. We just have more audio to play from uh, Mayor Lightfoot's press conference this morning uh, in regards to the CTU strike. We heard one of them. Uh, let's play the other two here. And uh, the reporters are asking her a question. I tried to crank up the volume there because sometimes you can't hear the reporters that much. So I tried mm -hmm. to crank it up. Let's go. You said that they don't need to have the full, the full bargaining team today because you just said yesterday there's not going to be any more movement. No, that's not what I said yesterday. What I said is we have... Dr. Jackson and I have to be responsible fiduciaries of taxpayer dollars. There's a finite amount of money that's available. You know, as you know, we're barely two years away from a moment where CPS was on, on the verge of insolvency. There's not an unlimited pool of money, and I wanted to make sure that we made that point um, very clear, and I know Dr. Jackson um, can speak to that point. Yeah, I mean, just to underscore uh, Mayor Lightfoot's point, uh, we just wanted to make sure that there is a full appreciation of CPS's financial situation as well as the city's. And so while we're at the table bargaining in good faith and trying to reach a compromise, we also need to make sure that uh, CTU as well as the public is fully aware of CPS's financial situation. And so this idea that we're flush with cash and just sitting on it and not spending it on the things that we both agree matter just isn't true. And we want to make sure that that's something that folks understand. A little collabo press conference there. Janice Jackson stepping in as well. Yeah, all right. Uh, and uh, the timing is perfect because Troy LaRavier is in the studio, uh, president of the Chicago Principals Association. I know you must have a lot of fun. First of all, welcome back, Cotter. It's been a long time since you've been on this show. Absolutely. It's good to be here, man. Uh, and you brought the music with you, too, man. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 lo I love your tracks, man, your selection. Oh, right amazing. on. Thanks. There was a time where we were uh, we were playing the real good tracks, but then, like, copyright laws yeah, and copyright, all that came into so, you know, uh, but we got we got some well, good. Troy uh, was the only person I, that I recall who recognized Fela. Oh, Back in the yeah, old days, Kutsi. yeah, we put him on, and Troy's like, whoa, where'd you get that? <laughs> and it uh, must be a generational thing. Uh, his generation was into Fela. But anyway, um, yeah, welcome back, Troy. Uh, you're the president of uh, the Chicago Principals Association. It's a long history of Troy LaRavier. Uh, I don't know if I want to redo the whole history of how he got to this point in his life. He was Why a not? principal. Uh, and it, it may be a good way to set up for what's going down here. Mm -hmm. uh, because when I first met Troy, it was after he wrote an article or an essay in the Sun-Times, my beloved bright one, uh, which really was the first time I told him I'd never seen a principal say the things he said publicly. And this was around 2013 or 14. I'm not quite sure when it was around that time for 2014. So it was after the last big teacher strike of 2012. It was after the 50 schools were closed in 2013. It was after the privatization of services like janitorial services left the schools dirtier than they ever been. And all along, uh, Mayor Rahm had been uh, manipulating the media into believing that principals were falling in line with absolutely everything, like 
They stood with the mayor on the strike as though the strike in 2012 was about giving principals more power. Or like they uh, stood with the mayor in the closing of the 50 of the schools because that way you could allocate resources more efficiently and have more money per the schools. We saw that wasn't true. Or they believed in privatizing services because, in fact, you would Mm -hmm. save money and have more money for the classroom. They saw that wasn't. So Troy LaRavier blew the whistle, folks. He wrote this essay for the Sun-Times that said they're just being used by the administration and the administration wasn't really uh, listening to them and acting on what principals uh, wanted them to do. Man, one thing led to another. Troy LaRavier was fired from his position as principal of the Northside School, Blaine, where he was the principal. Then he got elected head of the Principals Association. So that's sort of the backdrop of Troy LaRavier as a public persona. People may have forgotten this because it's been a couple years uh, since all this went down. Now here we are, Troy. Uh, We're in the midst of a third teacher strike in the last seven years. There was a one-day strike in 2016. Um, And you just heard uh, Lori Lightfoot and Janice Jackson explain that they're being responsible fiduciaries, to use their words, of the public purse. There's only so much money that can be spent. What's your response to all that? So... In the midst of that, whatever, um, I don't know what to, how to describe that statement Janice said, but in the midst of that statement, um, she talked about the district's financial picture. So let me give your listeners a clearer, more detailed picture of the district's financial picture. We're going to start with staffing. Chicago Public Schools is the most understaffed school district in the state of Illinois. We are ranked 861st out of 861 school districts in the ratio of students to staff. So this is not student-teacher ratio, it's student-staff. So this is everyone in the building. We put the fewest amount of human resources towards a child's education than any district in the state of Illinois. To give you a clear picture of what that looks like and then connect this to the financial, financial situation. The top schools in Illinois, the best staff schools, for every 500 students they have, they have 100 staff members. The average staffed school in Illinois, for every 500 staff members, excuse me, 500 students, 50 staff members. That's average. 500 students, 50 staff members. In Chicago, those same 500 students get 29 staff. We have 21 fewer staff than the average Illinois school, right? And that's, the, that's teachers, that's counselors, that's social workers, that's nurses, it's teacher assistants, it's special education classroom assistants, it's psychologists. Like, there are 21 more of those in the average Illinois school than there are in Chicago. So let's stop there. Even though we're dead last in staffing, guess what? We're not dead last in spending. We're actually in the top 20%. Now, Ben, I know you. (laughs) Wheels have to be turning right now. (laughs) How in the world can you be in the top 20% in spending and dead last in staffing, what are you spending your money on if you're not spending it toward the human resources that are required? I mean, as a principal, 90% of my budget was staffing. So how in the world can the district be spending so little on staffing and yet be one of the top, in the top 20% in spending in the state? 
Well, that's where we come up with our corruption tax. That's where that money is going. If we look at where that money is going, we can look at things like the, it's at least a billion dollars now that they've invested in the Aramark and Sodexo custodial management companies that continue to leave schools filthy across Chicago. The interest rates to politically connected bank that all just happened to have made a political donation to one or another mayor's campaign fund. That's where our money's going. Um, to these privatized education providers, these uh, sit a kid in front of a computer for several hours a day and give him a high school diploma. And oh, by the way, you get to claim your high school graduation rate went up when you've severely reduced uh, and compromised graduation criteria. Like, but companies are getting rich. Banks are getting rich. Privatized custodial companies are getting rich off of the money that's supposed to be invested in our young people's education. So what I would say to the mayor and what I would say to the CEO is that if you really want to be good financial stewards, you will sue those banks that gave you those bad loans so that you can recover some money from the taxpayers. I haven't heard them talk about that. You will get Aramark and Sodexo and hold them accountable and get them out of this district and recoup some of the money that you've invested in those contracts. But this district, no matter who the mayor is, has the same perspective when it comes to spending, when it comes to paying people. They want to pay everybody everything they owe them except the people who are actually doing the work. They want to pay the banks. They want to pay Aramark. They want to pay the, pay the politically connected companies, but they don't want to pay and invest in the staffing that's required to actually give a kid a decent education. So that's what I say about the financial situation. And oh, by the way, since we're talking about a strike, that since that conversation about the financial situation came up in, in terms of the demands that teachers have in relationship to the strike, what are their demands? Well, the, one, the, the biggest demand holding things up right now is, guess what, a staffing demand. And didn't we just say we're the most understaffed school district in the state? We would have to hire 21 more people per school just to get back to average, Ben. Average. And how many staff are the CTU asking for? Are they asking for all 21? They're asking for three. And you don't even want to do that for Chicago's children? Please. Well, I would just say that uh, if even if you got rid of, just to one point, if you got rid of the uh, the private contractors who do the, uh, the janitorial work, you'd still have to have somebody do the janitorial work. So probably, what, the old way of doing it, in your opinion, is the best way to do it. Hire a, a janitor who works for the Board of Education. Put that person in the school so that he or she is working directly with the principal. Absolutely. At least the job would get done. And my, I would imagine that it would get done cheaper. Um, because they never produced any kind of physical or financial or bookkeeping evidence to show that this was going to save the district money or even break even. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes. One thing that's changed between this strike and the one in 2012 is uh, the, the way principles were used. Uh, in 2012, principles were very much a part of uh, Mayor Rahm's strategy to win over public opinion. They, there was a press conference, I remember, where he gathered a bunch of principles. He stood with the principles in front of them and uh, said, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm standing up for principles and principle empowerment. And so the strike, we're all about giving principles more, uh, more power. Uh, 
they don't seem to be playing that card. The mayor, the mayor Lightfoot and Janice Jackson don't seem to be playing that card this time around. Am I correct in that? Um, well, let me tell you what they are doing and you tell me if you're correct. <laughs> so one of the things that the CEO did uh, was to claim that principals were at the bargaining table supporting uh, one of those proposals. I don't know if uh, you saw this. We, um, um, I got a call from a member uh, pointing me to a Sun-Times article stating that Dr. Jackson had claimed that principals were at the bargaining table supporting the proposal to take teacher-directed preparation time away from them and replace it with principal-directed preparation time. So instead of you grading papers or doing grading papers or calling parents or doing what whatever it is that you do in your prep time, principals now get to tell you what to do. Now, we already do that one day per week. We get one principal-directed day, and I hadn't heard any complaints of, from principals saying they needed more. Uh, and I've talked to at least 100 individual principals in person visiting their schools in the last six months. And we've surveyed at least 500 principals on one topic or another over the past year. And I never heard that demand ever. And so I was shocked. Um, and so members were like, who's making this? Who's at the table? Who are these people making these demands in our name? Uh, and so we surveyed our membership. And it turns out 70% of our members were against this proposal. And yet the district was once again, not quite the way Rom was doing it, but once again, using principles to give a false impression of broad principle support for policies that principles by and large do not support. Um, and so, you know, that's what they're doing. Whether or not that's in line with uh, what you understood the mayor mm -hmm. to be doing, you know, it's a little different. Uh, but in essence, they're still misrepresenting the views of principles to back poor education policy demands uh, within this con these contract negotiations. Troy, what is, if you could summarize it, the attitude of most of the members of your association, most of the principals in Chicago, what is their attitude toward this strike? I don't know about, uh, I guess I could say this is most. Um, I can tell you we surveyed principals when they were about to strike in I think it was 2015, the strike that got averted, mm -hmm. about whether or not they supported a CTU strike. And over then, I think the major issue was pension contribution. Uh, and about 85% of our members supported that strike. I did not survey them on the strike this time. We surveyed them on that issue that I spoke about. Um, and, you know, I told you 70% supported the teacher position in terms of not taking away the prep time. More than 95% supported the teacher position on regaining their morning prep time. Uh, and so I think in relationship to the strike, it depends on the issue. Right? Sometimes they might support a board position. Sometimes they may support a teacher position. In general, however, I think that principals are as frustrated with frankly frustrated as frustrated with CTU as many of their members are in terms of their inability to effectively articulate the needs of our schools to the public. Um, you know, principals, we're a small organization. We're not in the newspapers as much as CTU. 
And CTU often holds positions that we agree with and is not necessarily effectively advocating for those positions as effectively as we would like them to. You know, for example, I came in talking about the 21 staff that we don't have, that we have 21 fewer staff than the average. That should be your lead talking point every time you come to a microphone. You shouldn't have demanded three. You should have demanded all 21. Your contract demand should have been, we would like the board to raise us to average staffing. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to disagree with that? If like That's a PR move, right? We want the board to raise staffing levels to meet the state average, to highlight and get across to the public just how much of a crisis we are in, right? But that's not happening. Uh, It's just not being done as effectively as it should be given the reach and resources that CTU has. You know, and I, you know, I lost my job supporting CTU. I support, you mentioned that one day strike. If you look at my dismissal papers, that one day strike is my support of that one day strike is listed as one of the reasons for my removal. And so I say this as a critical friend, uh, someone who, like many other principals, are frustrated with the fact that this organization is one that we want to win, but keeps shooting itself in the foot. Well, I'm going to uh, I'll say this. Right now, if it wasn't for the Chicago Teachers Union, nobody would even be talking about the fact that there's this critical shortage of employees in the public schools that kids need the most. Uh, And right now, even though they're not articulating the need for the full 21 to get us, as you say, back to average, and they're only articulating the need for what, three? We're being told by the mayor and uh, the, the superintendent of schools that there's not even enough money for that. And it doesn't seem as though the public is responding, Troy, in a way as to say, no, we insist that you pay this money. In other words, I'm not convinced, and tell me I'm wrong, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm not convinced that in in the city of Chicago, there's support for the kind of funding increases that are necessary uh, to get Chicago more in line with the state average. I think if you frame it the right way, especially if you pair it up the right way, that, again, remember when Rom came in, he wanted his longer school day. The, the man understands politics. I mean, you, you know my position about Rom. Um, there's, there's nothing that could happen to him. There's nothing horrible that could happen to him that I would, like, Object to. It's just <laughs> speaking metaphorically said, <laughs> there. He doesn't mean literally, but go ahead. Yeah. With that, chunk, s- <laughs> with that said, the man knows politics. Yeah. The man understands how public opinion works. And so when he came in and um, wanted his longer school day, he repeated the same line for a year. Chicago has the most, has the shortest school day in the country. Chicago has the shortest school day in the country. Wasn't even true, but everybody in the city knew it by the time he was ready to force that down the teacher's throat. Chicago, he, he understood how to prime public opinion to create a demand for what he wanted. And so, again, I think teachers have to say, 
principals have to say. Chicago is the most understaffed school district in the state of Illinois. We have 21 fewer staff than the average school. Like, that has to be what you lead with. You have to create the demand for it. At the same time, the demand that's missing is demand is the other side of the coin that I talked about earlier in terms of the fact that we're, we're already the top, one of the top spending districts in the state. Mm. And that that corruption must be dealt with before you raise another tax on anyone. To highlight the need for the mayor, you, you, in public opinion, you basically highlight the need for the mayor to go through that budget and clean out that corruption, get rid of all these corrupt contracts, while at the same time using it as a, a precondition of the revenue, of the increased revenue sources that are needed to meet the staffing the, to 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 address the understaffing crisis that you have already used your public platform to increase public awareness of. I think when you talk about the understaffing crisis and the need for more staff, and then you pair that with a frank discussion of just how corrupt this district is and just how much it misspends funds, you get more public respect for your first demand. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's just Troy and Ravier talking. All right. Now, uh, one thing uh, else the mayor has talked about is the human cost of this strike. Oh, and boy. the human cost being uh, that athletes will not be able to participate uh, in some of the state championships because the teachers are on strike and under the rules uh, in Illinois, striking this school district, their students cannot participate. Not sure, quite sure why that's a rule, but that's the rule. Uh, talk about, in your uh, perspective, what the human cost is on the uh, day-to-day reality of this understaffing. So whenever someone talks about this whole human cost piece, I frame it this way. There are consequences here in this strike. There are short-term consequences and there are long-term consequences. And when the mayor speaks and when the CEO speaks, they often direct our attention toward the short-term consequences of this strike. That kids will miss a few days. That kids will miss an athletic program. The long-term consequences of the CTU giving in and not getting this staffing in writing is that our kids continue to be educated or miseducated in the most understaffed school district in the state of Illinois. They continue to go without a counselor to help them with their post high school options. They continue to go without a social worker. They continue to go without a nurse. That they continue to not have their needs met with professional staffing resources for the duration of the contract, whether it be three, four, or five years. The consequence, the long-term consequence of CTU not striking and demanding that these needs be met is that I think you have to weigh those. And I think it's pretty obvious what side I come out on. You know, my son's right here with me, missing school. Right? He's sitting over here listening to us. <laughs> Say hi, Zeron. <laughs> um, and I think that it is worth him missing a few days of school if we're going to get a social worker in his school as a result, if we're going to get a nurse in his school as a result, if we're going to get a counselor in his school as a result. Um Long-term, short-term. And you don't hear that from the district. And I think it's, it's disingenuous when they speak like that. And there's another thing that the mayor did that angered, just angered me. 
when she told, she talked about how devastating the strike would be for students in terms of their safety. And then in the same breath, told the teachers union that she wasn't going to add days onto the end of the year to make up for the strike days. Basically as a way of letting them know your paycheck's going to come up a little short this year. But you just said that students missing these days, particularly in terms of their safety, you know, is going to, is, is, this is going to be a horrible thing. And so Rather than miss these days right now, they're missing days right now in what is not typically the most violent part of the, of the school year. And you're not going to add the days back on at the end of the school year, right around the, when summer hits off, which is the most violent time. That was disgusting. You don't give a you don't give one fourth of one eighth of a damn about these kids. If that's going to be your stance at the end of the school year that we're not going to add these days on. But now you're saying it's going to be horribly and could have tragic consequences in the middle of the fall <laughs> if our kids don't have a safe place to go. But you won't give them a safe place to go at the end of the school year when the times are most violent. Yeah, no, I couldn't have been more disgusted. I've, we've seen this one before. Mayor Rahm used to talk about like every minute in school is precious when the teachers were on strike. Uh, but then when he wanted kids to go down the spring, <laughs> they brought buses to the school for whatever uh, he wanted. Remember, he wanted them to go down to Springfield. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I'd love to get your reaction to this uh, uh, column in today's uh, Tribune by a woman named uh, Christian McQuarrie. a member of the Tribune editorial board. The Tribune's editorial board. Uh, has been denouncing the uh, Chicago Teachers Union for going. Christian's the one, isn't she the one that called for like a hurricane or or um, uh, a Katrina like yes. event in yes. Chicago? Yes. That was mm-hmm. uh, speaking of disgusting. Uh, yes, uh, same writer. Anyway, <laughs> yes. um, so she interviewed a teacher who is opposed to the. She found a teacher in Chicago who's opposed uh, to the the strike, uh, and then said that the the union is exaggerating. Uh, the needs for more staffers. And uh, this is what she writes. Librarians at every school, question mark, not necessary in the digital world of education. Nurses at every school, not necessary, not necessary at most schools where parents pick up sick kids anyway. CTU's demands about building union memberships, not serving kids, according to this teacher she interviewed. Your response. So again, apparently Christian McQuarrie hasn't looked at the Illinois State Board of Education statistics that show Chicago public schools is the most understaffed school district in the state of Illinois. Now, we can nitpick about which positions that CTU is asking for. So, frankly, I don't know if principals would necessarily agree that those are the most needed. Principals would certainly say they need a, an assistant principal. They would certainly say they need a case manager. And many of us are wondering why CTU isn't demanding a case manager. This is the person who manages all of the meetings and assessments that need to be done for all the kids in their schools that have uh, individual individualized education programs who are on a special education plan. Principals would certainly say we need those. And so you can nitpick about which positions are most needed and you get disagreement depending on who you would ask. But there is no... Um, way in the world anyone could say that the most understaffed school district in the state of Illinois does not need more staff. Uh, yeah. 
I would agree with that. But uh, librarians at every school, not necessarily in the digital world of education. We had fun with that with uh, Maya. Oh, God. Yeah, just Google yeah. it. You don't need a librarian. But the, the, the whole point, I mean, particularly in the Trump era, I'm glad you brought my attention to that one in particular because I kind of got lost in the, the bigger picture analysis of her statement. Particularly in the Trump era where nobody gives half a damn about evidence that there is a process for discovering the truth. And that process involves research. That process involves gathering evidence. That, and who in a school has their job focused on helping young people to understand that process better than a librarian? That might be the most important position in the school in relationship to creating what we all call lifelong learners. That it is the librarian that teaches the very specific skills that create a lifelong learner, that creates someone who can hear a claim and then a process that they've been taught begins to unfold in their head saying, oh, what's the evidence for that claim? Who does they cite? Uh, how reliable is that site? How reputable is that? These are skills that a librarian teaches, and I don't know if you can find anyone more important in a school building, and she's saying, just go, Doesn't matter. Just just Google, go Google it. it. <laughs> What's the name of that website, Zeron, that we joke about? Yeah, yeah. Google it and go to GnosticWarrior.com and, see, and get your information from them. Uh, I've never even heard of that one before. I'm learning new things all oh, the time. My son, um, uh, it's a running joke we have in the house about this conspiracy theorist website. I see. Yeah, just go there. That'll tell you everything <laughs> yeah. you need to know. According to Christian McQuarrie. Yeah, just go there. Uh, or go just watch GnosticWarrior.com. How about that? Or just watch Fox, Fox News. TV, uh, watch news. And uh, <laughs> nurses at every school, not necessary. Most schools where parents pick up sick kids anyway. Wow. Uh, we talked about this already. And all, there's 15,000, 16,000 homeless kids in the city of Chicago. I don't know if their parents are going to be pick, picking any kids up at school uh, anytime soon. All right, now the other point uh, near and dear to my heart uh, is the allocation, uh, the diversion of property taxes away from the public schools. It really hurt me when I heard uh, Janice Jackson speaking up about the fiduciary limitations of the city of Chicago, uh, knowing full well how many uh, millions of dollars diverted from the public schools, property tax dollars to the TIF program and allocated uh, and earmarked for projects like Lincoln Yards and the 78 upscale right. developments, gentrifying areas. And Troy, really... The leadership of the Chicago Public Schools has been absent on this issue for the, all the years that I've been writing about it. I've been writing about it for a long time. I cannot recall one school board member, one superintendent, uh, and uh, or for that matter until you, one principal. Mm-hmm. who spoke about it. And then didn't even hear the teachers speak about it until Karen Lewis took charge of the Chicago Teachers Union. Right. Uh, and it's just part of the game, Troy, where we like look the other way about the way the city really works and talk about like the limited amount of money that we have, ignoring all the billions that are going over for things like Lincoln Yards and the 78 and the DePaul basketball arena and the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Very frustrating. Very frustrating. Yeah, this is actually how I got into, before I wrote that essay that mm-hmm. you cited, um, a year, almost a year before that, in the summer of 2013, I spoke at a press conference uh, at City Hall. And there was a young teacher who was a DePaul student, a former DePaul student, who worked with CTU to organize a press conference 
at that time, we thought TIF funds were going to be spent on the stadium. And then it was a hotel, and then it turned out it was a Ferris wheel. But at that point, it was the stadium mm-hmm. um, that they were going to build for DePaul. And this DePaul student uh, had organized this press conference with CTU, a former DePaul student who was now a CPS teacher. Um, and one of my parents at Blaine, where I was principal, told me she was going to this press conference. And I said, um, do you think they would let a principal speak? And she said, I'll try. And she called the guy who was organizing. It turns out it was Marty Ritter uh, from CTU. And he said, yeah, come through. And I got up um, and spoke at this press conference. It was actually the first time that I'd ever said anything publicly about uh, or against the mayor's policies. And it was right there at City Hall outside of his office. That teacher, interestingly enough, was Erica Wozniak. <laughs> that's, where, that's how I first met her. And... Uh, Erica always uh, jokes with me about this because she did all this work to organize the press conference. (laughs) But when I came and spoke, all of the attention was on the fact that this principal had come out speaking critically uh, against Rahm and his policies. Um, So that was so one of the reasons I decided to speak there is because as a principal, as you see this 20 million dollars about to be spent on a stadium that could be spent in your schools. At the same time he was doing that, he had cut our budget at Blaine and cut school budgets around the city by hundreds of thousands and even millions of dollars. And so while I have to figure out what am I going to take away from my students as I'm watching $20 million be given away for a sports stadium that could have gone to our schools, the contradiction, the hypocrisy, like I couldn't turn away from it. Like it had to be addressed. There was no way I was, I could continue acting as if all of this was okay. Like if this was acceptable, that hundreds of millions of, and this $20 million was just one item in a long item of extremely wasteful tiff spending on real estate developers who already have more money than they'll know what to do with in their entire lifetime and redirecting that money at the expense of our students uh, and the academic programs that we are able to put together for them. And so, yes, I thought it was, it was actually one of the first things that got me to speak out um, the way that our city redirects so much of our tax dollars to benefit the wealthy at the expense of those of us who actually have to work for a living. You know, uh, I've been neglectful. I didn't, haven't mentioned that at one point you, you were uh, running for mayor in this cycle and you stopped because you couldn't raise the money to be competitive. That's no joke, raising money. Uh, and uh, so I guess this is easy to ask, but uh, how would you have handled things differently upon uh, if you were the mayor? If you uh, were victorious in the April runoff, uh, and if you had to, what overtures would you have made to the Chicago Teachers Union uh, to try to uh, avert this situation we're in? So, real quick, I left because I had a horrible ground game. Um, Funding was the second reason. Okay. Um, (laughs) We had great messaging, but we had absolutely, the ground game was just, you know, you learn your lessons. and we didn't have enough signatures. As a result, we didn't get enough signatures. Mm-hmm. We, we're not on track at all to get enough signatures to get on the ballot. 
I like to be honest. All right. Well, I, I thought money was part of that, but whatever. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. We, we could have done it without the money if we had organized Let me put, okay, if you had, I just want to say yeah. on a tangent, this weekend, uh, I was uh, downtown Evanston. I just have to say this. A gentleman came up to me with four petitions to sign. And uh, for various judges, I forget mm-hmm. who it was, I signed every single one of them because the guy explained to me he got a dollar and a quarter per signature. Right. So this gentleman was not there on the corner of what streets were they? Uh, Sherman and <laughs> Church in Evanston because he believed in the sanctity of the candidates for whom he was collecting. He was getting paid a dollar and a quarter a signature. Yeah. I, I told him, man, I'm giving you the equivalent of $5. Spend it wisely because I signed everyone. Because you had good signatures. Yeah. They, you, you only get paid for the good ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were not going that route okay. and I could have done it with volunteers. We just didn't organize it the right way. All right. Fair so enough. I learned my lesson. Um, and in relationship to how I would have approached it, I think the first thing, uh, going back to what I said earlier, as a mayor, you're only as powerful oftentimes as either your financial backing, your billionaire financial backing, or your public support. You got you have to have either the power of organized people or the power of organized money behind you. Right? And I certainly would not have had the power of organized money behind me. And so that meant that means part of your job as mayor is impacting public opinion, using that position to impact public opinion and organize. You know, and stay in, staying in touch with the grassroots that got you in there and organizing people and impacting public opinion on the matters that, on the things that you want to change so that you can have the public support to help you push these things through through city council or through the board of education. So one of the things I would have did is just like our last mayor came in talking about Chicago has the most, understand, the most, the shortest school day in the country every day. You be hearing from me. We have the most understaffed school district in the state. Oh, and by the way, there's this corruption tax that you're paying right now. And I would have used every resource possible to go through that budget, make it uh, transparent, get it out there on, in the public. Every, th- every time we find something to let them know, we are being good fiduciaries of your tax dollars by finding every piece of waste and corruption in there. And at the same time, building public awareness of the spending needs in CPS so that the public understands the need, the public understands that you have um, tried to do everything in your power Mm -hmm. to find the money in an alternative fashion by getting rid of waste so that when it is time to raise a tax, and that's what you're going to have to do, eventually there is not enough waste to cover the amount of staffing that we need. But you, the public must understand that. You know, you can say that there's not enough, but if you don't make the public understand that in your daily conversation, mm-hmm. it might as well not be true. Uh, and so building the public understanding, uh, a public consciousness about your attempts to, get, to, to reduce waste, at the same time building up their understanding and promoting the actual needs that are going to require you to spend, um, and then, of course, redirecting some of that, those tax hikes on the folks who can afford it most. Now, that's a fight. Uh, that is a fight. And that is about as good as a moment as ever to uh, divert this conversation to national issues, because 
that's sort of at the heart of the debate that's going on uh, in the presidential race. Uh, Troy LaRavier, in addition to being the president of Chicago Principal Association, was, as I understand, as my memory serves me, a delegate for Bernie Sanders back in 2016. That's correct. Uh, thank you, Robert Mueller. <laughs> and uh, so we'll talk a little national politics with Troy when we return. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Rom, Vice President Joe Biden made one of his final moves before the debate starts to show a video of him basically bear-hugging President Obama. Smart move? Why is he I doing that? I think he that? also got a hug back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, okay. But no, yeah, it's a smart move. It's his calling card. It's why he has the strength he has among Democratic voters is because he served with a very, very popular president. It's what surprised me in the last debate when people were throwing the president under the bus. I mean, you have a person who's at 90-some-odd percent popularity with Democrats. That is not a smart strategy. I do agree with Matt. This is going to be about the energy. There's more about a chemistry that you're going to associate. And the closer the candidate can put their own story with the story of where people live their lives, they're going to, the better they're going to be. They're not going to follow all the details about this policy versus that policy. It's about relating and they feeling that they can relate to that candidate and that they understand them where they live their lives. Hey, it's football season, which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago want to offer you, yes, you, the listener, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories you love. That's A-L-L, all of the stories you love. Ben, make that football noise you make all the time. Ready, set, 2020. <laughs> yeah, ready, set, 2020, guys. That's called an audible. Oh, okay. And all of our non-sports fans out there, audible, write that down. <laughs> the Sun-Times has always been your go-to source for sports, and now the Sun-Times is a proud partner of the Chicago Bears. Don't miss a game this season. Get all the big plays, scores, and uh, the scores from the other teams and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet only $29.99 for a full year of all the news and sports you need to know. Ben, that noise one more time again. What is it? Ready, set, 2020. <laughs> yeah, ready, set, 2020. And ready, set, $29.99 <laughs> for a full year of unlimited access. You can't do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. And hey, speaking of Ben, 
Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Troy LaRavier in the studio with me, president of the Chicago Principals Association. Before we turn our attention to national politics, uh, D, you got an update for me? Uh, absolutely, I do. Here, more Chicago teacher strike updates here. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times at about 2.34 this afternoon, not oh. long ago. Uh, the day after, the Chicago teachers union leaders said that their hopes were, quote, dashed for a quick end to their strikes. Uh, union officials are making plans for an extended work stoppage that could possibly go into next week. Mm. Well, I'm not surprised there. Once you go on strike, you don't know what's happening. And then also we have uh, the last clip here from Mayor Lightfoot's press conference today. Uh, it was this morning at, uh, I can't remember what the name of the place was, but uh, she was talking about the strike again. So it's our final clip here from Mayor Lightfoot. Tomorrow you have to give your first budget speech for the city. Now I know the budgets are separate, but how are you feeling about speaking directly to taxpayers tomorrow about your budget proposal while all this is going on? And is there going to be any good news in there for teachers or the union? Well, the, the budgets are separate. Um, and so we want to be, we won't uh, tomorrow uh, be specifically addressing um, CPS issues in the context of the city budget. But I think there is a lot of good news for taxpayers. Look, we've made a lot of tough choices and hard sacrifices and more to come. And I, I won't get into the particulars of what we're going to be saying tomorrow. But we have definitely made, taken the approach that we need to make sure that we continue investing in our people in the city. Um, budgets are a statement of values. And I believe that wholeheartedly, and we will be speaking our values tomorrow when we re reveal the particulars of how we've gotten to a balanced budget. Wow. All right. Where do I? I I want to go switch to Troy and national news, but I just have to say, budgets are separate. Budgets are a statement of values. Let me just say this, folks. Uh, in the city of Chicago, where all power is given to the mayor, where the mayor in 1995, in addition to all the power he or she has at City Hall, was given complete control of the schools to the point where it's an appointed school board, where it's an appointed CEO who uh, stands, whose jobs they are, are owed to the mayor, to uh, the point where teachers aren't even allowed to negotiate for the things they're negotiating for. They're not even allowed to strike about the things they're striking for. The mayor has that much power to sit up there and say these budgets are separate to have a situation like a TIF program in Chicago, which literally diverts hundreds of millions of dollars a year from the Chicago public schools in property taxes that you pay. You think it's going to the Chicago public schools, but it's getting diverted to the TIF fund. To get up there and say these budgets are separate is, to, is exceedingly misleading at the least. It's, they're going to be talking about one budget as though it's independent of the school budget. All the money flows to the mayor, essentially. Years ago, I had a budget uh, advisor to Mayor Daly explain this to me. He goes, Ben, you got to think of it as one giant bucket. And all the money goes into the bucket. And the mayor decides who gets what from the bucket. Think of it as water. He's going to ladle out. Schools are going to get this much. Developers are going to get this much. Street repair is going to get this much. Police are going to get this much. Mm -hmm. So this notion that these are separate budgets is misleading people it's your property tax dollars that fund most of this it's all coming from the same source you the taxpayers so tomorrow when the mayor makes her budget speech she's going to be talking about one item one little part of it she's not, obviously not going to be talking about how it fits into the total scheme of things so if she wanted to allocate more money for the things that troy laravier is talking about like more nurses or social workers or librarians she would have to cut the money that's going for 
developers to develop upscale neighborhoods. That's a fact. That's just reality. It's your property tax dollars, folks. Now, whether that money is going there right now or whether that money is going to fill those coffers over the next 23 years is largely irrelevant to the point that money is dedicated to pay for that development deal. And that money could be dedicated to pay for nurses. Do you agree with me, Troy? Well said. Couldn't say it any better, man. Oh, and um, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'd like to thank uh, Troy, by the way, as well. Uh, our live stream chat is uh, looking at GnosticWarrior.com. <laughs> They're all freaking out over here. <laughs> GnosticWarrior.com. I hope there's a little ex- explanation of how TIFFs, uh, Gnostic Warriors, how TIFFs affect the regular school budget, uh, Troy LaRavier. Uh Anyway, uh, you got me fired up, D. Whenever I hear a mayor said, well, we're just going to discuss the uh the city budget we're not gonna be discussing the school budget like it's not all your property tax dollars people sorry troy i didn't mean to get all fired up there all right let's uh that's an important point i'm glad you brought it up the the way that they've sort of created this mental framework to make you just dismiss hundreds of millions of dollars as if you can't consider this for school when you can uh but that's the mental schematic or framework that they've created. So where they don't even have to say it, you notice that the reporter said it for them. Yeah. The reporter was actually, I know it's separate, but blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right? They're so good at it that the mental framework is not just in Lightfoot's head. Since the time of Daily, they've been putting it out there so much and so effectively that the reporter introduces the idea with their framework <laughs> um i mean they, they've really given us a mind can you curse on this show y- you're allowed <laughs> to curse but restrain yourself my already dropped a few uh f-bombs oh, to yeah. today well, yeah. they mind effed us yeah <laughs> big time including the people who are supposed to be you know interrogating them I mean, she's frame, she's softballing the question for the mayor without even knowing that's what she's doing. That's that's pretty powerful framework. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up, Ben. Yeah, uh, it uh, it just really gets me going every time I hear that. And you know, I'll again, if we had an independent school board, if we had anything remotely resembling like one or two independent minds on the school board. There would be somebody pointing this out. I have to believe that there'd be at least one person on that school board who'd be saying, you're diverting hundreds of millions of dollars from our budget. You're, you're with your TIF program. The TIF program uh, prevents us from taxing some of the most valuable property in the city of Chicago. And as a result, we have to raise the taxes on absolutely everybody else in the city to accommodate for the money we're not getting out of a TIF district. And so as a result, taxpayers are feeling even more used and uh, than they would ordinarily feel. So you got to give us something back mm-hmm. to compensate for what we're giving you. But no, it's like, oh, just pr- just ignore what's going on over there. You know, Troy, just ignore all that stuff and concentrate on this one budget like they're not connected. You know, anyway. All right. Let's get to national politics. Uh, you were a Bernie supporter back in 2016. You were a Bernie bro. Uh, although I feel like every other guest in the show, I am not a Bernie bro, Ben. And no one likes to be called that. Nobody, I know, nobody likes it's to be cool with me. Uh, I never called myself that, but I'm cool with you calling me that. Oh, listen, last week you came up with one for a female, Sanders sisters. Yeah, Jeanette Taylor. Uh, I was like in that. here, all the women of the 20th Ward. She said for Bernie, oh, you're Sanders' sister. And she goes, yes, I am. She didn't try to deny it. Uh, uh, so uh, who are you supporting this time around, Troy? 
burning. Absolutely. All the way. Um, you know, for me, it, there's like two ways for me to look at this. There's who's closest to me ideologically. And my top two would be Bernie and then Warren. Mm-hmm. And then there's who can be Trump. And then my top two would be Bernie and unfortunately Biden. Um, and I don't know which way to go, but fortunately, my top is not, my top one is the same in both analyses. <laughs> Wait, now let me ask you this: Why don't you think uh, Elizabeth Warren has a good chance of beating Donald Trump? I think she's three. I, I just don't think she has as good a chance as Biden does. I think she can beat him, um, but I want to give us the absolute best possible chance of getting Trump the hell now, out of the White House. Why do you think Bernie um, has the best chance of beating Donald Trump? Bernie is seen as the most. The most honest, the most like one of the things that Trump Bernie's the one who can get a Trump voter. Like when in 2016, 2015 and 16, when he was running back then, they surveyed a lot of the Bernie supporters and a lot of the folks who supported Bernie, their second choice was Trump. Like they like the fact that these two men seem to speak their minds. And a lot of the people who spoke voted for Trump, their second choice was Bernie. And so Bernie has this appeal, seemed to have had this appeal with working class folks who had these sort of hard um, bread and butter issues. Um, and again, Bernie, of course, had the uh, backing of a lot of young people. He got more energy, more enthusiasm. Like, you know, I talk about giving yourself the best chance. I think one of the biggest mistakes the Clinton campaign made, and they made quite a few, was the arrogance of not selecting Bernie as a running mate. That you've got this guy who created more energy on the Democratic side than anyone I had seen since Obama. Um, And maybe even more, particularly from progressives and young people. Just created all of this energy and you just threw it away. You have to give yourself the best chance of winning. And she goes and picks this, can't even remember, what was it, Kane? Was yeah, it from Virginia? Yeah, very good memory, Tim Kane. Yeah. Like, this, like <laughs> there could not have been anyone even less inspiring yeah. than that man. And so you just like, okay, yeah, uh, I, it, I, w- I would be guaranteed if I picked this guy, but I, I can beat Trump with anyone. Let me get this Kane guy. You have to give yourself the best chance. I think Bernie gives us the best chance. Yeah. I think Biden gives us, even though I... Uh, I'm not a fan at all. The second best chance of beating Trump. I think Warren gives us the third best chance. Now, why do you think Biden? This is interesting. There's so it's I can't even articulate this. Bernie represents something that is completely the opposite of Joe Biden. Bernie has a worldview that has he's not diverted from. God bless him since he figured it out back in 1960 or whenever he figured Mm -hmm. it out. And I'm very sympathetic to Bernie's worldview. I never in a million years thought it would get to this point where it would be on a national stage. Uh, But I give him a lot of credit for that. Joe Biden, on the other hand, is like a very mainstream centrist Democrat uh, who's very calculated in any move he makes, is always trying to appeal uh, to sort of like a... I, I don't even know what to call it, but the, like uh, the the center or the right, even at any given moment, to show like I don't have an I'm not an ideologue. I don't I don't I'm open minded to absolutely anything. So I'll just sell out the the uh, 
the, the lefties in my party just to get this accord. And yet you're saying these two guys who are completely opposite political animals mm -hmm. have the best chance. Explain that. Yeah, because people don't vote with their people don't analyze politics like you and I do. Like, again, let me say quite let me affirm here. Elizabeth Warren is my second choice. But if I have to analyze the American electorate <laughs> and think about what their second choice might be, who would be more likely to be Trump? You know, we, we just don't seem to vote based on um, a, an intellectual analysis like the one that you just made. It's like sort of your feeling. Oh, this I this is you know, what, what was the thing when Obama? I like to have a beer with this guy. You know, I thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> but now we have Trump as our president, yeah. so it's not as ridiculous as I thought. And you have to actually take that into account if your goal is to get this man out of office. Yeah, and I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but my my gut, my experience in American politics is you know short lived as it is. You know, I'm not I'm not a political veteran, but based on what I've seen. I think Biden has a better chance of getting beating Trump than Warren does. I believe Warren can beat him. Um, I just think he has a better chance. Are you going to be a delegate again this year? No, I'm not. I'm giving somebody else a chance. All right. Uh, and final question. I would love to get your response to this. This is from a Paul Krugman column today in the New York Times. Paul Krugman uh, is a liberal columnist for the New York Times, a big supporter, a big fan of Obamacare. Uh, very cautious and concerned about the impact of Bernie Sanders uh, and Elizabeth Warren in this particular case, Medicare for all. And he talks about it in terms of the election. And he's talking about uh, if Warren gets a Democratic nomination, the outcome of the general election isn't going to hinge on dueling think tank estimates about Medicare for all. The election might, however, hinge on the support of people who have good private coverage and would be nervous about making a leap into the unknown, no matter how many facts and figures uh, Warren deploys. In other words, he's very concerned in, uh, that if Elizabeth Warren goes too far in the Bernie direction with a uh, public payer plan, uh, a single payer plan, I should say, Medicare for all, uh, it will mean lead to Donald Trump's reelection because people will be worried about losing their private uh, medical care. What's your, what's your reaction to that? I think Paul has a point. Yeah, it depends on how effective the Democratic messaging is. And they're typically not very effective with their messaging, unfortunately. I mean, we're in the, we are living in the country where when Obamacare was being debated, a significant portion of the population thought Obama was going to try and kill their grandparents. You remember this, mm -hmm. right? Paul Krugman understands the American electorate. And... I wouldn't say he's 100% right. It all depends on how effective Warren's team is if she does get the nomination or Bernie's team is if he gets the nomination. And articulating um, and messaging his uh, plan and again or her plan. And I, again, I think Bernie has the upper hand there. Warren's good with facts and figures. Bernie's really good at just hammering it home and making you feel him. He <laughs> yeah. makes you feel him. Warren, Warren, I, I love Warren, and, and, and I would vote for her in a half a second, mm -hmm. in one-fourth of one-eighth of a second, <laughs> if um, she's a, uh, the nominee. But Bernie is just a much better communicator in terms of getting straight to your heart. Mm -hmm. uh, Warren gets to your mind, Bernie gets to your heart, and unfortunately more people vote with their heart than their mind. All right, very good. That's Troy LaRavier, and he is the president of the Chicago Principal Association. It's been way too long, Troy, uh, since you last been on the show. But I'm going to be 
du- more dutiful about uh, reaching out to you maybe on a monthly basis, get you back on the, the swing of things. Do you have any prediction before I let you go on how long this teacher strike is going to go? A um, couple weeks. Wow. A couple weeks. Hold on. I'm going to have to have a shot of this water to, to swing. Get that down. <laughs> Mm. A couple at of minimum. weeks at minimum of this teacher. You know, let me say, the, I will say this, though. I didn't think they were going to strike. I, did, I thought the board would cave, and I was wrong. So hopefully I'm wrong on this one, too. Well, I've, I've been wrong every single time when it comes to teachers and their strikes. I didn't think yeah. they would strike in 2012. I thought Obama would come to the, uh, get involved and tell mm-hmm. Rom to back off on that because it's making them. I didn't think they would strike uh, this time around because I thought Lori Lightfoot would want to make some kind of, I wouldn't even put it cave. This see okay, That's I'm what not, I thought. I didn't, it wasn't that I thought teachers wouldn't strike. I didn't think Lightfoot would ultimately push them to it. Okay. I thought she would cave and that there would not be a strike. And this is why I'm going to uh, respectfully uh, admonish you for using the word cave because Lori Lightfoot ran as a progressive. Lori Lightfoot ran as a politician who believed in adding uh, nurses, social workers, and librarians to our schools, dealing with the very issues that you were talking about. Good point. I hear where you're going. So it's not caving into a union demand. Like actually meeting, doing the things you said. I thought Lori Lightfoot would actually do the things she said she was going to do. There How dumb go. of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good go. point, Ben. Very good point. Yeah. So it's <laughs> all these things get, but it's not just you. Everybody, it's like, well, you come on, the union's demanding X, Y, Z. We're talking, yeah, they want to like help poor kids in low-income schools that are lost in a very cruel world. Oh, my God, how radical is that? They want three more positions in the school districts. That's short 23 per school. Yeah, if, if, 21, excuse if me. If Lori Life woke up tomorrow and goes, you know what? I've been, I just listened to Troy LaRavier and the Ben Jarofsky show, and they're right. That, I would not say that's caving. I would say that's coming to your senses. Yes. That's correct. Uh, thank you, Robert Mueller. Uh, anyway, uh, Troy LaRabier, thank you very much. Uh, Maya did an outstanding. Man, Maya was on fire today, wasn't she, D? Uh, if we're going to put that one on the radio, we're going to have to clean that up a little bit. But uh, Tuesday, November 5th, Maya makes her uh, first Tuesday debut at the hideout. That is correct, Senator, uh, with Stacey Davis-Gates. 1354 West Wabonzia, Tuesday, November 5th, 6.30 p.m. Very good. And the man saying that? is the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Back home, they call him White Lightning, no, so he's don't. fat. <laughs> no one calls no. him Keep yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Tom Waddle. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites. And wherever else you download your favorite Podcast downloaders, we live stream this program Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel, and on Facebook. Hey, I uh, if you can download it. If you missed any of the live stream, by the way, you can download the show. I know we kind of buffer and go out from time to time. Download the program, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com. Go do it.